morning. Thanks for being here. My name is James, and I serve as one of the teaching pastors here at Anchorage Church. Uh, you picked a great weekend to join us. This past week, we kicked off a series called That's My Church. Would you say that with me? That's My Church. And uh, the first week, we talked about how the church is the bride of Christ. If you missed that, uh, I'd encourage you to go back. You can check it out on our website or on YouTube. But I really do believe that it's the starting point, the foundation for what church really is all about. And what we talked about is that when Jesus first talked about the church, he was talking to people about people. And so today, it's a joy together with the church. The church is the people in this building who make it up. It's not the structure that we're a part of. It's the people that we gather with. And so we started week one, and we talked about that. And this week's been an exciting week. I hope you enjoyed uh, your holiday, the 4th of July. You shot off some pretty fireworks, you know. My neighborhood's been shooting them off ever since, you know. I think they go on sale like on the 5th, and so then it goes even more on sale on the 6th, and I'm sure we'll have fireworks even again tonight. But uh, it was funny, Pastor Garrett and I, he's speaking uh, at one of our, our sister churches. If you guys remember, a couple of months ago, we helped launch a church in Pinson, Alabama, Encounter Church, and Pastor Garrett's actually preaching there right now for them, and then he'll be back to join us at the end of our second service. But uh, we were hanging out in the cul-de-sac shooting fireworks, and we had gotten all these fireworks together, and he was telling me how certain things had to go in certain places, and we had these two different sets of tubes that you drop the firework in. I don't remember them having these when I was a child, right? But you're like dropping mortars into the tube. It's like, it's a make-it-yourself Roman candle is what it is, all right? And uh, he told me, he said, listen, there's a, a large tube for the large mortars. There's a small tube for the small mortars. Make sure they go with the right one. I said, man, it doesn't matter. Just put all of them, mix them up. We threw them in a thing, and then we just put them out there. I thought, this is a good idea. And so we shot off like four or five fireworks, six fireworks seven fireworks, everything is going great. We're shooting off mortars. Pastor Garrett goes over and he lights one of the small mortars in the large tube. Now, we were trying to light them fast so that everyone could enjoy the fireworks. We just, boom, and you're not really looking. Pastor Garrett lights the small mortar in the large tube, begins to walk away, and when he does, it flips out. And Pastor Garrett became a firework on 4th of July. In all of his glory, it just exploded behind him and all the streamers. The problem was, it was a good mortar. It's just it was not what it was made for. So if we're the church, this gathering of people, what are we made for? What, what are we here to do? Last week, I asked you this question, and as we started this series, I said, when you hear the word church, what do you think of? Or when you hear the word church, how do you feel? I want to ask you this question this weekend. When you hear the word worship, what do you think about? What are the words that kind of pop into your mind? What are the, the symbols or the images that take place in your brain? Or, or how does it make you feel when you hear the word worship? Does it make you excited? Does it make you nervous? Do you feel awkward? Do you feel insecure? Do you get passionate? Are you more reserved? What is it in your heart that comes to mind? Because I believe one of the first purposes of this bride of Christ, of the people gathering of the church, is to worship God. We were made for worship. 
We were made for worship. Now, you may be thinking, well, I, I don't know. I, I grew up in this background or that background, but I got news for you. Worship happens all over the place. I tell people this all the time. I say, listen, not everybody is charismatic in church, but everybody's charismatic. Oh, you don't believe me? I'm telling you, I got a friend named Pug, and he loves cornhole, and the man is good at cornhole. He's really good. I'll never forget the first time I saw him play. He throws a four-bagger. Now, if you don't know, a four-bagger is a big deal. I know that because I threw one uh, just about a week ago against Daryl Killo. But um, it's where you sink all four bags. And, and Pug had done this, and, and the guy was responding, and he's throwing back. And I'll never forget, I watched this guy who's he's a pretty reserved guy. You know, Pug's not loud, and all of a sudden, Woo! Man, he lets it out. I thought he had caught church in the middle of Swamp Tales. He was charismatic. He was excited about what had just taken place. Or you've seen people maybe at a football game. I, I know from experience that Alabama football games, because they win, people get really excited. And they get really excited, and they cheer, and you'll see people high-fiving people they never met before. You know, they get charismatic about football. My son Braxton, he played t-ball this year, and I got news for you. Woo! I caught the spirit a few times in the stands. I went from sitting to standing. I think one day I threw a hat. I had to apologize for that one. But, but there's all these moments in life where this... This word worship, worship is an expression of the heart. And we see it happen all around us. The scripture even says that all creation testifies to the goodness of God. Creation itself is worshiping God. How much more should the bride of Christ be celebrating and worshiping God? But it, it feels different sometimes, doesn't it? It feels different, like when we get into this place and, and we gather, or, or maybe you grew up in a background where maybe it was a certain structure or style, or maybe you grew up in a denomination where you had to kneel, stand, kneel, stand, kneel, stand, or bow. You know, I don't know, but, but really, I think at the heart of all of what we were created for, worship is this expression of the goodness of God. From the very beginning, we see this in Scripture in Genesis 1, that God created man. Man didn't create God. We exist to worship him. He does not exist to worship us. And so I think it's important this weekend as we talk about one of the purposes of the church that we recognize that we were made to worship. I got to witness a, a phenomenal thing happen this past week. I don't know if you're a tennis fan or not. I, I'm a sports fan, and so whatever sport is available, I become a fan of. Um, I, I even like cricket sometimes. But, but the Wimbledon matches are on right now, and they're on all day long. But something incredible happened this past week. There was this 15-year-old girl named Coco who stunned the sports world. She came back from behind to win one of the Wimbledon matches. She's going on to play. She'll play tomorrow night. 15 years old, playing against adults. Phenomenal athlete. But when I saw what took place at this match, I had to share it with you. Check out this clip. It's about 15 seconds of her win at Wimbledon. raised, passionate. I mean, can you imagine if you set the soundtrack to that? 
I'll stand with arms high and heart up. You'd think it was church service taking place at Wimbledon. Why? People were excited about what they witnessed. I mean, there's all different personalities that attend the Wimbledon matches. They're actually really quiet during the tennis match. But there was this celebration, this jubilation that had taken place. Now, if you didn't grow up around church, I want to recognize this. I get it. It's one of the most awkward parts of a church experience. Let's just be real about it. There are moments that it's so intimate. It's, it's real. You, you know it's real. You, you watch it take place, but if you're not from a church background and you walk in and you see people and their hands are lifted or they're crying or they're singing or they're kneeling and you see these expressions of worship, I mean, it can kind of be like watching a couple kiss in public, right? You know it's real, but you're, you don't want to stare, but you're, you're enthralled at what's taking place. I think worship is so intimate that sometimes we forget how raw and authentic it is. If you're not from a church background, I want you to know this, that worship is simply a celebration, an outward expression of what our hearts are feeling in response to how good God is, how good he is. Now, I had a friend one time, he said uh, that when he witnessed church, the first time he come in, he, he went into the church, he snuck into the auditorium, and he did so in worship. He saw everybody with their hands up. He thought somebody was robbing him, so he left. We had to convince him to go back to church a second time. It's not that we're losing or that somebody's held us hostage. It's that our hearts are celebrating how good God's been all week long. And so what I want to do is I want to go to a, a passage in Scripture one of the most famous worshipers in all of scripture started as a shepherd. He ended as a king, but all throughout his life, he was known as a man who had a heart that chased after God. And this man's name was David. And David wrote this uh, collection of songs or praises or worships to God. And it's known as the book of Psalms. He says this in Psalms chapter 63, verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, here's what I love about the first part of this worship song from David's heart to God. He does not say, God, I have it all together. God, I have been so good. I just want to testify about my goodness, O oh Lord. He says, God, I seek you. I earnestly seek you. I long for you. Do you know there are moments that you come into worship that one of the greatest deceptions that you can fall into is that you have to feel like it? Oh, come on. I, I know. And it's not that you're like, well, I didn't feel like it. You know what often happens is you don't feel like you can. You feel like I didn't have the right week. I haven't done the right things. I, I'm not honorable enough to honor God. But here's what's so key about David. David doesn't focus on his own goodness. He focuses on God's goodness and his deficit. So at the moments that you feel these deficits, when you run to God's presence, you can say, God, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty today. I am, my soul is wrenched with pain and I need you. He says, I need you. But I love what he goes on in verse two and he says this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. My flesh faints. I'm in a weary land, but I'm looking at your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. 
In your name, I will lift up my hands. Would you say those last few words with me? Lift up my hands. I will lift up my hands. You mean that thousands of years later, we're still using this expression of God's goodness, his power and glory by raising our hands. Now, there's a a famous Christian comedian, church comedian. He has all these different types of hand raisings. I I decided to show you the graph this weekend. It breaks down all the different types. You've got, I called it, first you got the elbow flap. I don't know if you guys have done that one, but it's like, I'm here to worship, but not going to pull my hands out of my pockets, right? Or you've got the, I caught a fish. You've got the, I'll carry the TV. Oh, no, go big screen. You can go ahead and go a little wider. I like this one. I got a fish that was this big. No, it was this big. Uh, you go on, hold the baby. I like the Mufasa, you know. Some of you, you've utilized that. But then you move to pro level. Pro level is where you have dueling light bulbs. Like you're just doing like this. You're loving it, right? You're going... What about this, the pointer? Anybody ever you use the pointer? You're just, it's one of those songs that talks about God, you know, and you're pointing. Or you can move to the YMCA. That, now, it does say as a disclaimer that if you come from a more conservative background, don't attempt these, okay? Um, but he, he's got the YMCA. You've got the touchdown. Hey, you know what's crazy about it? No matter how you lift up your hands, do you know that when you do it, you're honoring God? You're honoring God. You're worshiping Him. Now, that's crazy for me. If I'm honest, I think that in my childhood, I thought that worship time was often reflection time. That's the way I treated it. I would come into a worship experience. I'd be like, this is so great. They give me these three songs. I can decompress. I can think about my week. I can get my mind right for the scriptures. You know, I mean, I thought that as a kid. I know you wouldn't think that as an adult. But I would think that worship time was like my me time. But here's the key thing about worship. Worship has nothing to do with us or the way we feel. It's not even about what we get in the process. Worship and lifting up hands, whether it's the big screen TV or the touchdown, is an act of celebration of God's power and glory. That means that worship time is about Him. That means, you know what? You could walk away from a worship experience and not get anything from it because you weren't supposed to. Worship time is not my devotional time. See, I have my devotional time all week where God pours into me. But when I choose to worship, I'm pouring back out to him. They said a famous pastor, someone had told him, said, man, I didn't really uh, enjoy worship today. And he snarked back, well, that's good because we weren't doing it for you. (laughs) Maybe you've wondered. Maybe you didn't come from a church background, or maybe you did, and you've just had the thought, Why do they have people on stage during worship? Is it a performance? No. You know what we actually call these people that are up here during these songs of worship? We call them worship leaders. What their job to do is, is to lead us in worshiping God. Oh, why do they sing well? Because some of us don't, right? Um, And they may sing or play instruments, and that's a form of worship for them, but But for us, it's not about what they're doing. It's creating an opportunity for us then to worship. That means worship could be going on around me, but not coming from me. 
You and I have to make an intentional decision to look at what David did. He said, I gazed on you in the sanctuary, on your power and your glory. But because of that response, I'll praise you with my lips. The word lips here literally means on the banks of the mouth. Sometimes that's how far it gets. We think about how good God is, but it never passes the banks. It goes on and says, I'll lift up my hands, exalt or lift them up. What is that like for you? I want you to recognize this, and you can write this on your notes this weekend. It's impossible to experience God's goodness and not show gratitude. It's impossible to experience God's goodness and not show gratitude. You say, well, all right, I had a good week. I come in, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed because I got the job promotion. Thanks for hooking me up. You know, that's a good week. It's pretty easy to worship. But you know what's interesting about this Psalm 63 where David's talking about lifting up hands and praising from his lips? He's in a wilderness. He's in a wilderness in a literal dry land where he's literally thirsty. He doesn't know where he's going. He's isolated. You talk about a bad week. He had had a bad week. But in the midst of all of that, he took his focus off of himself and he put it on God for us when we come in on the weekends. I hope that when we come in, no one ever has to ask us to respond. That for those of us who are committed to following Jesus, that it's an overflow because we've experienced God's goodness. You're like, well, what if he had not done anything good that week? But friend, we have to go back to the goodness he's done from the very beginning. If there's breath in my lungs, there should be a praise in my heart. You and I have this opportunity to respond back to God Gratitude is an expression of God's goodness, what he has done, and sometimes an expectation for what he will do. God's goodness is better than my present circumstances. Listen, don't be fooled into thinking that worship is just a celebration of this week. It's just a celebration of present circumstances. Worship is acknowledging that God has been from the very beginning and will forever be, and he included us in his story. I exist to worship him. He does not exist to worship me. If I'm not careful, I'll come into worship, and worship will become my prayer request time. It'll be this time where I begin to ask God for what I want, right? Well, it just you feel that connection. Worship has this way of connecting me to God. And so I begin to sing songs like, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the reason I'm alive. Yeah. And also, God, can you take care of this this week? Could you imagine that you're at a birthday party? your birthday party, and you're celebrating, and people are giving you all these gifts. It's taking place around you, and someone walks up in the middle of, happy birthday, and they walk in and goes, hey, my birthday's next week. Can I have this present? You'd be like, that is super rude. But sometimes in the middle of worshiping God, I forget that my role is to acknowledge his goodness, and instead I go with more petitions and requests. One of the scriptures says this. It says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I will lead from a place of gratitude. I love what Paul, one of the early church leaders, he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He said, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, this is interesting. In 1 Timothy 2.8, when Paul writes this, it says, I desire that men, everybody say men. 
Now, there are several times all throughout Scripture where it'll say mankind or man, but really what it's meaning is all of humankind, people. This is not one of those examples. When you actually look at what Paul's writing, he's saying, I want the men to lift up holy hands. Now, I didn't get the opportunity this week to phone a friend and call Paul and ask him why he wrote to men. But if I take a moment and I survey civilization, I can possibly arrive at the thought that maybe men today were a little like men were back then. That we're a little reserved. That we're kind of conscious of what's going on around us. That, that we're not always into this feely stuff, but... Someone lied to us along the way and told us that worship was about our feelings. It's not. It's about our faith. And, and it, it can be this moment where if we're not careful, we feel insecure or maybe it's the other side of the coin. We feel pride. And so I neglect lifting up holy hands. And I, I don't know that that's what was taking place, but Paul's charge is clear. I want the men to lift up holy hands. I think the other reason that it's important it's because there's somebody looking to you. Leaders in your home, leaders there on your job. Are you taking your rightful part in leading in worship? Or are you abdicating that responsibility to your spouse or to a loved one? You're like, well, I don't have to do that. It's not my personality. I'm not as expressive. I'm not as like, oh, but they are. But Paul charged Timothy, I want the men to lift up holy hands. Are you and I taking this charge? Are we taking our rightful responsibility to lead from a place of worship? Do you know that worship happens right there as much as it happens right here? That means that you can be your family's worship leader. We had a parenting class a couple of months ago, and my kids' pastors, who were my pastors growing up, Amy and Jeffrey Franklin, they told us about having worship times with your kids and they're like, you know, just do it at your house. So it's not just a church thing. It's a house thing, too. And I nodded, and I was like, that's a great idea. And I was saying that for everybody else in the room. But secretly, I was like, that's weird. I'm not doing it. Uh, I would feel awkward doing that with my kids. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to break out a guitar. I can't even play a guitar. How am I going to do this? I'm going to YouTube, like, these songs. I, I can't do it. And I decided one day on the way to Birmingham, Braxton and I were getting our hair cut, and I decided, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to ease into this moment. I'm going to play it cool. I'm just going to put on some praise and worship music, and I'm going to just do my thing, and we'll see where it goes, right? Because honestly, I, I don't know about you guys, but there's still parts of this manliness and my faith and Christianity and, and worship and all this that's tough for me to balance. And maybe I'm the only one in the room, but in that moment, even though he's only five, I was insecure. And what would he think? If he laughed, I just shut it off. Yeah, no, me too, you know? So I put on worship music and begin to sing. Starts off, Braxton says, how do you know that song, Dad? I was like, well, buddy, when I'm in my car driving, these are the songs that I sing. Really? Okay, turn that up. And so I turned it up, and then I went to a song that we do is, it's going to be an echo, echo, you know, it's fun. Braxton's singing it, and he's liking it. So I go to another one, and I play it, and it's a worship song that we sing here. And I just, one hand on the wheel for safety, and I put one hand in the air. I just thought I'll just test the waters a little bit. And a little while later, I looked in my review mirror. My five-year-old's got his eyes closed. He's singing the song, and he's got a hand lifted. 
Now, here's why I think that's significant. Number one, because Paul charged Timothy that men would lift up holy hands. My pastors charged me to lift up holy hands. And so when I lifted up holy hands, you know who I led to lift up his holy hands? My five-year-old. Friend, there are people that are looking around you at the life of worship that you were made to live out. They're looking at how you're going to live it. I know this past week, as we uh, are, are transitioning, Britt has been selling stuff. And one of the things that she decided, she gets super emotional. And, and maybe you guys do this too, but she gets super emotional about selling baby stuff. Okay? I'm like, sell it all. You know? <laughs> like, we can sleep on air mattresses. Like, I am not emotionally attached to anything. I know Marie Kondo says, tell your clothes thank you. No thank you is what I tell them, right? But she gets so emotional. So, like, she gets out these pajamas that one of our boys wore, like, five years ago. They're faded. They're ugly. They're ugly pajamas. She's like, I just don't know if I can part with these. I'm like, throw them in the trash. Nobody's going to want them. But then she got to this moment where she's going to sell the baby crib. Oh, yeah, you, you see? All the ladies were like, yeah, yeah. All the guys were like, well, I don't get it, right? It took us 45 hours to put that thing together, all right? Like, get rid of it. But she got to the point where she was going to sell that, and she was emotional. And if I'm honest, the reason I don't get emotional is I don't really like kids. I don't. I, and I guess I can be honest enough to tell you, I don't really like your kids. I like my kids, but I don't like kids in general. Anybody just... Uh, admit it, you're not a kids fan. You like kids that are in your family, some of them, but you like, I don't like kids. And so I, I'm going through all this. I'm like, oh yeah, babe, I know that's tough. Oh, we're going to sell, you know. But about that time, Grayson came in the room. And Grayson is our strong-willed child. He's two years old and he's not very affectionate most of the time. But he came in and he said, dad, I'll hold you, I'll hold you. And he puts his hands up. And you know what my response was? Not, no, I don't like kids. When he said, I'll hold you, what did I do? I picked him up and embraced him. Maybe sometimes what God wants for us is to recognize he's our father. And a good father can never resist the open arms of his children. And so while I'm not super interested in all of those things, when I started holding Grayson, I now become interested in all of the other things. Sometimes it's leading from a place of, God, I just want you. I don't want all the other stuff. I want to hold you. God, I'm reaching for you this weekend. I just want to tell you that I love you. There's something about that that guides, directs, and unlocks the rest of our lives. So what does that look like for me and you? When we lift up holy hands. We lift up holy hands. I think sometimes it does start in a childlike faith, a childlike manner, saying, okay, I'm going to just give it a shot. I've seen friends over the last several years who've made these decisions to follow Jesus. I love it because sometimes in worship, you know, I get excited and I'll turn around. And uh, I've seen friends, they'll start here, you know. And some, sometimes it's just like, yeah, let's just try this thing out here. Man, God's been so good to me. They start thinking about life, thinking about how good God's been to them. They start here. But the greatest expression when they're doing this is what I see here. Because it's almost always tears of joy or tears of gratitude back to God. Because they realize it's so much more than hands. But when I'm obedient with this, it connects to this. And so for you and I, how are we choosing to live out a life made for worship? In the book of James chapter 4, it says this. In verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, 
you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, the second part of that verse isn't very encouraging. But here's what I love about it. The writer of James says this, Draw near to God, and what will he do? Draw near to me. But then it tells you who he's talking to. People who are dirty, with dirty hearts, and they're divided in their mind. That means if I come in on the weekend having a horrible week, making horrible decisions, and I lift up these hands, these hands that were once dirty become holy because of the act of worship. And when I draw near to God, he, as a loving father, will always draw near to us. You and I have this connection in worship. It is this relationship. It is this intimacy that takes place between God's creation and himself. It says in Psalms chapter 141, verse 1, it says this, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I love what the psalmist is saying here. He says that sometimes this is a sacrifice. Sometimes this is an offering. You know the thing that takes place at the end when we pass the bucket? This is the same way. It's an offering to God. It's an expression of my gratitude. Do you know throughout Scripture there's so many words for worship? There are things like to sing, to clap. There's even a word rejoice, which means to spin. I have a friend who attends and she spins sometimes. But it's all of these jubilant expressions. But I love what he says here, that this is a sacrifice. This means it's not about me. It's a reminder as I talk about God's holiness, as his glory, his power, his goodness, that I can't help but respond. I think about the way we end games sometimes. We'll end these, these big games. You'll, you'll watch, whether it's in the stands or on the field, but almost often when you see a big touchdown or a big basket happen at the end of the game, what do the players do? Just out of reaction, boom, they do this, right? There's something about being victorious. If you look at the players who lose, they're often heads are down. They feel like, ah, it's a struggle. Just can't do it. And sometimes, if I'm not careful, my worship looks defeated and not victorious. See, because I'm not living for victory. I'm living from victory. I'm living from what God already has done for me. And if I can keep that in the forefront of my mind, then I may walk in like this. But when they begin to sing, I can remind myself, oh, God, I don't have to be overwhelmed. I look to you. You're never going to let me down. God, you're good. All different styles of songs, all different styles of music. If you grew up in church, maybe you like a certain style or you like when they used to harmonize or you like hymnals because they tell you the music and you know the melody. Those are all great preferences. But that doesn't dictate God's presence. You want to know what a good worship song is? Let me just dial it down for you. It's one that expresses the true character of God. It's one that glorifies and magnifies Him. And it's one that takes the attention off of me. That's a good worship song. You're like, well... What if it's fast? Doesn't matter. What if it's slow? Doesn't matter. What if there's a beat? Doesn't matter. What if there's an electric guitar? Doesn't matter. What if I like it? 
doesn't matter. Does it worship Him? Does it honor Him? You mean to believe that you and I were made to worship, that I can accomplish one of the greatest missions of the church if I simply walk in and go, evening sacrifice, God, I love you. God, I'm thankful for you. What would it look like in this room next Sunday if before we had prayer time, before we got to the message, see, the message is the seed to grow something in us. Worship is response of God's goodness back to him. What would it look like if we ran into these doors? Nine o'clock hits, and I'm here. You don't even know what songs to be saying. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm ready to worship. What if it's fast? Doesn't matter. I'm ready to worship. What if it's a song I like? Doesn't matter. I'm ready to worship. Why? Because worship's not about me. It's about him. Can you imagine what our weeks would look like? Starting our week recognizing that we already have the victory, that the posture of our heart is not here. It's not sad. It's not struggling. It's victorious. That you and I are living from victory. Here's the other thing that I love about worship. We're promised this, that when we worship Jesus, he's there in the middle. It says this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That means we could gather here and Jesus not show up. But when we gather in his name and we focus on his glory, he's going to be here with us. And where his presence is, there is power. That means when I start with gratitude, I experience the fullness of God. For the church to fully be the bride of Christ, for the church to fully experience the spirit of the living God, we have to start from a place of praise, not a place of petition. So here's what I'm going to do. This weekend, I'm going to ask everyone across the room to stand to your feet, and we're going to put it into practice right here, right now. You go, what? Yeah, because we're a church of next steps. I gave you a diagram. You can do the elbow flapper. You can do the TV. But here's what I want us to do. Practicing what we preach. Saying we're not going to be a church that talks about it. We're going to church that be a church that walks it out. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. You ready? You're like, this feels awkward. Yeah, but this is great. Some of you, it's like your first date. But there's a moment happening where the relationship grows. We're stretched. We're challenged, but the relationship's stronger. So would you worship with me? I'm going to ask everyone across this room, however you feel comfortable, to lift your hands in worship, and let's sing this together. scripture 
in the first half of the Bible, Braxton told you about it a couple of weeks ago. Get ready. We're really going to raise our hands. It's where Moses has told the, the Israelites, go down and do battle. He said, you go down and do battle. And while you're down there fighting, I'm going to go up here. And when my hands are lifted, you're going to win. Some of you are in a battle. You're living from victory. You're living to victory. As you lift your hands, I believe that God fights for us. Come on. I God, we honor you. We practically put in place the identity that we're your bride. And our first responsibility is to worship you. And so we arrest this moment, this worship experience to honor you, to glorify you, to take the focus off of us and to put it back on you. God, we love you. Our soul longs for you more than anything else. God, we love you. We're thankful that your presence is here. Whether we feel it or not, the fact is, when we gather around your name, you are in the middle. We love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat right where you're at. There's something incredible that takes place when our hearts and our hands are surrendered in worship. And so I challenge you this week, like my kids' pastors challenged me, don't let it be a Sunday thing. Would you find somewhere this week, put on some music if you feel comfortable, maybe you're a good singer and you can just do it by yourself, play the piano or guitar, but you don't even need any of that. Maybe you just sing that song. You just get in your car, you're like, one hand high and lift it up, you don't raise two, all right? But you just recognize that God's good. And I believe when you start your week with worship, you'll watch God handle the war.